0: Welcome to this special edition of the HyperFast Show. Today we are featuring another speaker from the HyperFast Summit, which was held in Boca Raton, Florida in February of 2022. Our guest today is Michael Elefante. Michael retired at the ripe old age of 27 years old. Due to his Airbnb strategy, he now makes over $30,000 a month from just four Airbnb properties plus. Thousands more from TikTok. In our episode today, you're going to hear Michael talk about how to make money from Airbnbs. Check it out. Again, he got to, just in a couple of years, 30 grand a month in cash flow, a huge TikTok star as well, and he's you know, helping teach what he's done to, to hundreds, thousands of more people. Now, uh, please welcome Michael Elefante.
1: That's nice, I didn't know they were gonna do a little video. Usually when I'm on TikTok, I could do like 10 takes and edit the heck out of this. So we'll just uh, see how it goes. My name is Michael Elefante. My wife's here with me as well. We started investing in real estate just over two years ago. Um, so I noted here the fast path of financial freedom. So the whole reason we stumbled upon short-term vacation rentals was kind of what Dan was alluding to. Um, the idea of scaling from, you know, a single-family home, a duplex, small multifamily, from $100 or $200 a door, how many deals would that take, or how many years would that take to achieve what our financial freedom number was? So initially, our goal was to achieve financial freedom within five to ten years. We both didn't really enjoy our day jobs. We we're both in sales. It's a grind. Um, how does this work? Oh, got it. So. A little bit more who I am, 29 years old. Um, I also do a lot of content on TikTok, YouTube and Instagram. Um, Our path to financial freedom kind of already started that. Uh, We bought our first Airbnb property in Nashville, Tennessee um, at the end of 2019. Um, Once I started crunching numbers really prior to making that first investment, we realized if the cash flow potential was true, we were all in. So we got that first one, saw the bookings come in and we were blown away. So, we immediately started to think of creative ways to fund our second deal. Um, we took the risk of liquidating our retirement accounts, because again, we were all in, um, and bought our second deal in April, also in Nashville of 2020. COVID hit. Um, we were still uh, positive cash flow, I think all but two months of 2020, which is kind of surprising considering travel came to a complete halt. Um, we funded our third deal in October of 2020 as well. Um, and we were financially free in less than 12 months. Um, And then once full travel came back, um, bookings just really went crazy. So we currently own and operate four short-term rentals, Um, actually three and a half, because we split uh, one of those properties with another investor we went in 50-50 on. So actually our take after their cut on one of those properties is $30,000 a month on average. It does fluctuate from time to time, right, because seasonality in some of these markets. uh, Two of those are in Nashville, two are in Gatlinburg. We're launching a fifth in the next two weeks here in Fort Lauderdale and we're under contract for a sixth also in Fort Lauderdale. So once all six of those are up and running, it should be north of $50,000 a month uh, in cash flow. So that's after all mortgages paid and after all expenses. So why short-term rentals? Um, I don't know. How many of you guys are familiar or at least have heard or stayed in Airbnb? Probably everybody, right? Um, So why short-term rentals, I already alluded to it, but number one is cash flow. That's really how you measure the health of any business, right, cash in, cash out. Um, Short-term rentals can produce on typically three to 10X what normal long-term rentals can, sometimes even higher than that. Um, And one to three properties, I truly believe, can set anyone financially free. That depends on your situation, right? If you're single, have a family, your financial freedom number is gonna be different for everybody, but a small property, We have a two-bedroom condo in Nashville, Tennessee, that's averaging $5,500 a month in cash flow. It's pretty crazy to think about. It's an older place too, it's not not anything special. And then some of the larger properties can do north of $10,000 a month in cash flow. Um, So I'll get into some of the numbers and show you some analytics and some data that you can leverage on AirDNA. For example, I'll show you uh, Bocas Market uh, later on. Next is building generational wealth. This goes along with really buying and holding any type of real estate. You not only get cash flow, but you're getting principal pay down on the loan that someone else is paying for. You're also getting any forced appreciation if you do work to the property and any long-term appreciation, which other than the past year, which has been nuts, um, it's really, I consider that just more of a hedge against inflation, protecting your wealth. The other really cool thing about short-term rentals is you can own properties and put them anywhere you want. Say you want a beach house, a lake house, a mountain house, and you can visit them whenever you want. So you have a cash flowing asset that you can enjoy with your family forever. And then resale value. Um, if you guys have ever put a bid on a short term rental that has rental history, you will notice that there could, if it's turnkey, especially in like Gatlinburg, Tennessee, like big markets, Fort Lauderdale, we've been outbid by hundred thousand dollars on a property before. It's not uncommon for a turnkey property. So you're not just selling a home, but you're selling a business and people are willing to pay more than appraised value to get that asset. So the most common question I get asked, or the most common comment I should say on TikTok, which is funny, but is, well, I don't have a million dollars. I don't have $100,000 to invest. The coolest thing about Airbnb and short-term rentals is I don't, you know, or Michael, how much money do I need to start? How much money did you have when you started? You can start with any budget, right? Most of you guys are thinking buy and hold. You need a down payment, closing costs, money to furnish the property, money to rehab it if it needs it, and then stand it up on Airbnb, pay for local permits and things like that. That's strategy number one. Now, I will say there are different ways you can leverage different types of loans that you ordinarily would not be able to with ordinary investment properties. You can take advantage of a secondary home loan. If you have intent to use that property as your own vacation house from time to time, legally, you are allowed to rent it out when you're not using it. So you could do 10% down. Interest rates are going up on that specific loan program. They used to be more in line with primary residences. They're getting a kick up closer to conventional investment loan uh, interest rates. But you can also do a 15% down or 20% down conventional investment loan. There are now DSCR lending programs available out there. DSCR, uh, if you guys are familiar with that, is debt service coverage ratio. So if you have the money and a a decent credit score, but maybe you don't have the proof of income or the length of time, right, two years of uh, work history, tax returns to qualify for a loan, you can leverage what's called a DSCR loan. Debt service coverage, those lenders are looking at the assets' ability to service the debt every month. Um, and there are lenders out there now that are focusing on short-term vacation rentals So they're actually looking at projections on air DNA or comps in the area to qualify And as long as that rental income which is extremely easy in short-term rental world can serve that debt on a one-to-one Or typically a 1 to 1.2 ratio. They'll lend you the money Now moving on you don't have enough money for a down payment rental arbitrage. Has anybody heard of rental arbitrage? Okay, so what's really cool about this is you are essentially, you can go start, I'll call it Michael's Corporate Housing Company. Um, And then I'm going to approach landlords or homeowners and see if they're open to signing a corporate lease agreement. And a corporate lease agreement, traditionally, right, the corporate housing model is you find a place to rent, you furnish it nicely, and then you re-rent it on a short-term basis. Think traveling nurses, um, work relocation, things like that. And also some family and friends, leisure, travel, vacation. So with rental arbitrage, you really just need funds for costs associated with setting up the lease agreement and to furnish the property. Anything that you bring in on top of that per month on Airbnb, Verbo, whatever you guys wanna use, um, minus your rent costs and operational expenses, it's pure, pure, uh, pure cash flow. And I'll give you two examples of this. One person I work directly with one-on-one, he's got four places now in the past six months he's acquired in Salt Lake City, Utah. It's not really a place I would consider doing Airbnb off the top of my head. He did one rental arbitrage deal, the other ones were buying holes. This one rental arbitrage deal was a four bedroom house in a random suburb, $15,000 all in on the investment to set up the lease costs and furniture. He's averaging $4,500 a month in cash flow. That's $54,000 a year, right? Divided by the $15,000 to set up that cost, I think it's a 360% uh, cash on cash return. So really powerful way to scale quickly as well. If you guys are looking to do the fastest way to become financially free, rental arbitrage, rental arbitrage is probably should be considered as part of your strategy. Say, Michael, I have no money. Well, you could do co-hosting. Co-hosting on Airbnb is basically managing somebody else's property for them. Like, you can displace a traditional property manager who charges 20 to 35%. Say you come in and charge 10 or 15% of rental, like gross rents, Um, you could start with no money. All you just need to have is a little work ethic. You can deploy all these different software tools, which we'll talk about later, um, so you can automate most of the business and you can create a mostly passive stream of income. Lastly, you can partner with somebody and um, present properties to investors. Uh, The second example of the rental arbitrage was a 22-year-old college student who has no money. He joined my group mentorship and he took a spreadsheet that I created for evaluating rental arbitrage deals. Um, he found places on Airbnb that were he found a trend in one apartment complex. There was multiple units listed So he said they must do corporate housing. They must be open to it He evaluated that property looked at comps there and on air DNA and he presented that spreadsheet to multiple investors And he said people were throwing money at me Which I thought it was just funny how he said it But he landed his first deal with no money out of pocket a 20 or 22 year old college student um, and he's got I think three more that he's getting ready to set up as well So any one of these strategies you guys could deploy today the big reason, like beyond cash flow, right, this kind of goes in hand in hand, is cash on cash return. My minimum, absolute bare minimum, especially if I'm self-managing an Airbnb, is 25%. Um, if you guys are bigger pockets fans, listen to Brandon Turner. He typically shoots for 8 to 12%. I want to at least double that if I'm doing short-term rentals because it does take more effort to stand up. Um, and again, most long-term rental multifamilies seek that 8 to 12% cash on cash return. In today's market, probably less. Uh, Rental arbitrage, I already mentioned the one example, because there's no down payment and closing costs, can easily be 100 plus percent cash on cash return. Next thing I wanna talk about is the evolution of technology. You guys have probably seen some form of this before. Um, Netflix displaced Blockbuster. A lot of people didn't think that was gonna happen, but how quickly did it happen, right? Same thing with Uber and taxis or cabs. You don't think, hey, I'm gonna call a taxi, you think I'm gonna order an Uber, right? When you think watch a movie, You're not thinking, hey, let's drive to Blockbuster. Now you think, hey, what are we going to stream on Netflix or Hulu tonight? It's no different with Airbnb is displacing a lot of business that was ordinarily going to hotels. Especially with COVID, a lot of people who were not on Airbnb already, especially people with families, are now opting for Airbnb travel because contactless experience, they don't have to be around people, um, and they get more of the amenities that they would in their own home. So the name recognition is huge, and Airbnb has the best platform out of all of them. Not always the best customer support for hosts, but um, still a terrific platform, and I still think it's really early for Airbnb. Continuing on that, the evolution of technology, um, it's no longer a must-have to have a property manager if you want to self-manage. And the reason I say that is because you don't have to live local, you can onboard technology or apps that have been spun up over the past five to 10 years that enable you to manage these properties from anywhere. Um, Automated messaging via via, uh, property management software such as Guesty for Hosts, Hospitable, Hostfully there's a whole bunch of them out there. You can even do automated messages on Airbnb now. So if you were to book our property, you would immediately get a notification saying, thanks for booking our property, here's some information about the house two days before check-in, check-in instructions, house rules, check-out. It'll leave an auto-review guest for us on Airbnb. Keyless entry and smart locks. You can ha- control everything from your phone. You have security devices. You don't really have to have people checking up on the house. You know who's coming in, who's leaving. Are cleaners showing up on time? Um, and then syncing calendars with cleaners. I don't have to be on the phone or sending screenshots of when bookings are occurring. They use tools like resort cleaning or do an iCal sync with their calendar. So anytime I get a booking or a cancellation, they know. So I'll give you an example. My wife and I, we had a goal to quit our corporate jobs. Uh, We did back in March and April, um, respectively, of 2021. And we traveled in a camper van for six and a half months. And we worked about one to three hours a week managing our properties um, while on the road, all from our phone. The last tool I wanted to mention was Price Labs. There's similar tools out there, uh, Beyond Pricing and Wheelhouse. Um, Those are ways to put advanced customizations in, and it will automatically uh, change the pricing intuitively based on data they're capturing and machine learning and other technology they've developed um, based on demand in that local market. So it'll raise prices when demand's really high and uh, lower prices actually when demand's quite low, so you're not priced out of competition. Um, So as I mentioned, PMs typically charge 20 to 35% of gross revenue, and one Airbnb and really multiple Airbnbs, once you have everything set up, doesn't take more than one to two hours a week to manage several. Um, And you can do the math. If if one Airbnb is grossing $100,000 a year, which several of ours are, or all of ours are grossing over that, um, it's quite a bit of money per property that you're giving up. So what's your time worth? And at what point is it worth hiring out somebody to manage your properties or a PM? So we live in a digital world, and Airbnb for me is no different than my social media channels. I have about two seconds to grab your attention before you're on to the next video, right? Everyone's guilty of that. You pull up TikTok, Instagram, it's boring, boring, boring. Ooh, that's interesting, right? Um, Airbnb, you have one photo and a description to earn a click. And it's all about selling the experience. People are willing to pay more for an experience. So that's probably the most common mistake I see people make on Airbnb is they set up a bare bones place, ultra cheap furniture, um, and there's no like wow moments within the house. Like why should somebody stay in that one versus the one next door? You'll probably still make money, but if you want to make... Like 50 to 100 percent cash on cash return, which is possible in many cases. You have to sell the experience. That's where the big money is. Um, once you get that first click, you get an Airbnb splash page which has five photos. Then you have five photos. Those are your top moments within your house. Then you get somebody bought in, right? You can create Instagrammable moments. A um, couple of different examples of these are awesome outdoor areas with cool lighting, uh, custom murals. We've put murals in our places before. If you guys have followed me on social media, or if you have interesting in checking them out. We have one with big butterfly wings in Nashville, with Nashville written above it. Kind of catered to bachelorette parties, but that's a huge, huge thing in Nashville. Um, but people will literally book our place for that photo. They'll spend a thousand dollars a night on the weekends to, and they'll book three months in advance, five months in advance for that photo moment. People will pay for the experience. Now, this is something I made up. I don't know if it'll make sense, but it's called the Airbnb perpetual life cycle. So. More clicks, right, if you have good photos, you have uh, an experience that you're selling to people, you're gonna earn more clicks. The more clicks you get, the more at-bats you have, the more chances you have at getting bookings. The more bookings you get, more than likely, the more positive reviews you're gonna get. The more positive re- reviews you get, among other things, but that's one of the biggest things that's going to raise your ranking in Airbnb search. The higher you rank in search, guess what? The more views and more clicks you get then. Now your calendar starts to book up more and further out. Um, You can increase the the nightly rate because as your availability goes down, people are going to perceive value with more positive reviews and a higher nightly rate, um, which equals more revenue and cash flow in your pocket. So this continues to perpetuate over time. So this is a tool called AirDNA. I live and die by this thing when I'm evaluating new markets, especially when I'm working with my clients to help them. This is Boca. I don't know if you guys have ever thought, is Boca a good rental market? I didn't really know, so I looked the other day and took screenshots of this. I want you to notice the four different lines on this graph. You're gonna notice the 25th, 50th, 75th and 90th percentile. Those are the different percentiles of performing properties. For example, if you're in the 50th percentile, you're right about in the middle of performance and this is the occupancy chart. So occupancy is the percent of days that you're booked in any given month and this is looking at the entire market and I use filters Um, I'm just looking at four bedroom homes here in Boca. So the difference between properties that are good proximity within that market, so the location your property is in is important, but also what amenities or features do people want when they come to this market, right? Down here, pool, outdoor kitchen, um, what wow factors do you have that's going to earn you more bookings? Those, like, you can see the difference, right? The amount of days you're booked is so much higher, like near 90 to 100% in December of 2021 compared to the 50th percentile, which was like 65, 68, or 70 something, and then the 25th percentile, way down there. Average daily rate, I just hovered over one of the dots, but same thing, they show you the different percentile performing properties. These are all four bedrooms here in Boca. This is what people are charging in this town. Granted, if you're in the 95th percentile, you probably have a really, really nice property, more lux, right, on the water. But the 50th to the 75th percentile are still charging six, $700 a night on average, and that was in December. And here's a revenue chart. So this is why we're so keen on setting ourselves apart with our properties, and I I really recommend you guys doing if you do short-term rentals. Go the extra mile, spend a little bit of extra money. You don't have to get designer furniture per se, but spend extra money on creating those experiences because the difference in the 25th, 50th, 75th, and the 90th percentile performing properties, this is revenue, is massive. So, but Michael, am I late to the Airbnb game? No, I still think it's really early. Um, even in markets that have perceived saturation, many of the sales of these, like, properties that people are buying to stand up on Airbnb, I, w- I don't know the exact percentage, but the majority of them were already existing Airbnb properties, especially in traditional vacation markets. In some, certain cities, maybe not. Um, but even if markets do become saturated, people are never going to stop traveling, they're never going to stop craving new experiences, taking their family on vacation, using PTO, so that just stresses the importance of being in that top 25 or top 50% of performing properties. Because the only people who are really gonna lose demand and get hurt by it are those, those properties that are on much lower tier. So if you have interest in learning more, I do a ton of content um, and some other things. I do have um, a course that I built, which wasn't really by design. I just had a lot of people after I was doing content say if you built something, I would do that. Um, A lot of success from people, around 500 people have enrolled in that, Um, a bunch of other resources in that little link there, which is also in my Instagram and TikTok bio. So I wanted this to be somewhat quick. I was hoping you guys would have questions. If you don't, that's okay. I know lunch is right after, but if you have questions, I'm more than happy to answer as best I can any of them. Sorry. Uh, My first one is within your Airbnbs, how do you go about creating that experience? You know, what is there like a certain things you do or like, is
0: it like, is it like a formula or is it more just like, okay, here's an X property. What can I do within that property
1: to create an experience? For sure. So usually it depends on the market, right? You can go to AirDNA. There's actually a top property section, which is really useful. And you could look at top two bedrooms, top four bedrooms. And you're gonna notice a trend in one, the location of those properties, right? They're gonna cluster, they'll show you on a map and you could hover over them. You could drill into their listing, look at their photos. You're gonna notice what what is driving people to those properties? Why are they charging so much per night? That's usually where I start, or do they have a pool? Do they just have an awesome outdoor space? Do they have cool lighting? Obviously, those, your photos are key there. Um, for us, it's like one to three key moments within the house. So if it's not an outdoor area, that's, that's a big one. People love to be outside though, right? If you can cr- have a grill, a fire pit, string lighting, just make it Pinterest worthy, as my wife and I like to call it. Um, murals is a good one, if you can create something that's interactive, and people want to take photos and be like, yo, look how great of a time I'm having in Nashville, Tennessee. Look at this place I'm staying at and you're not. Like It sounds crazy, but that's, people will book, book things for that specific experience. Um, certain markets, the proximity to local attractions is more important than others. If you're in Nashville, you're going to pay a lot more money to walk to Broadway Street and go drink at all the bars there than you are maybe in a Gatlinburg, Tennessee where you could be somewhere really remote but you just want a view or just like to be secluded in the woods kind of thing, right? So uh, it could be a game room too. And then look at things uh, to differentiate in just your basic photos, bedrooms, living rooms. A lot of rooms you're gonna see on Airbnb, all these properties start to blend together, especially especially in any market. Look at Boca, like 90% of the properties, they're gonna look the same. Like for lack of better terms, they're gonna look very similar. If you can do accent walls, if it's just different paint, wallpaper, cool lighting, change light fixtures, change fans, it's all about the digital experience. What's going to get, earn you a click and what's going to earn like more photos? The more photos they look, for, uh, look through, the more bought-in they're going to be. So that was a good question. Any other questions? All
2: right. I'm just wondering if you can... Like you recently moved into the Fort Lauderdale market, Um, I'm wondering if you can kind of just take us through your journey of like market discovery, how you how you built your team down here, how you found you know what channel you found your deal through, and just kind of walk us through some of the numbers that made that market and that particular property make sense. Sure.
1: Yeah. So I mentioned we were in Nashville, Gatlinburg originally. Nashville was an easy one for us because we had just moved from Texas to Nashville, um, and we were learning about short-term vacation rentals. We stayed in a couple Airbnb's in Nashville. Um, and saw how much we were paying, so I was like, man, this would be great to own it. Um, national tourism, like general market research, the, is the tourism steady? Is it strong? Is it growing year over year? You can find a lot of that information in especially larger markets. We moved to Gatlinburg because we realized that Gatlinburg, I don't know if you guys know, the Smoky Mountain National Park is by far the most visited national park in the country. Like 16 million people a year visit the Smokies. It's crazy. Um, so we knew that the seasonality, also there, is another big thing to look at. Um, I really don't like to be in really seasonal markets. You can still make a lot of money in seasonal markets, meaning maybe you're busy from April to September, but it really tapers off, like northern beaches and lakes and things like that. Um, what attracted me to Fort Lauderdale was actually the, the lack of seasonality. The further south you go in Florida, the steadier it is. Even on the Panhandle, that's where I started in Florida, and worked, worked my way down in, in the research, um, it really tapers off in the winter months right? I mean, you still get bookings, people still come down snowbirds, but for Lauderdale, Miami, Hollywood, Pompano, Boca, Delray, all these different markets down here um, are really steady. So when I saw that on AirDNA, the 75th percentile, the lowest it has been in the past three years on any given month was like 77%. That is insane because most of our other places, Nashville, we're expecting like a 60% occupancy, 65. Um, so that attracted me. And then the, the daily rates. The average daily rate for a four-bedroom typically is like in Fort Lauderdale. So when you start doing the math and you find a place that's reasonable, I always rely on the numbers there, right? So I have a, I probably should have put a screenshot of it. Uh, My wife was like, you should have done that, but she's going to kick me later. Um, To basically go over the numbers, like take your emotion out of it. If the numbers make sense, the deal makes sense. The last thing I'll say to that is in the other markets we're invested in, January and February, February are the slowest months for us. The rest of the year is pretty busy. We're still cash flow positive, but it's much slower. So, Fort Lauderdale, it's the busiest in the late winter to mid-spring. Uh, it's still busy all year, but this is the busiest month. So, it's kind of like offsetting our cash flow a bit.
2: And then the, uh, the, the two deals that you've found here in Fort Lauderdale so far, are you going through a realtor or you have a good wholesalers down here? Or what, what have you found to be your preferred method?
1: Yeah. So, we scour Zillow, right? But we, we always like to rely on local realtors. Um, I have two requirements for realtors. One, definite requirement, and the second is really more of a nice to have. Number one is they have to primarily work with investors, um, especially with short-term rentals, because just because you're a realtor does not mean you know the short-term vacation rental market. Where people are looking to live and have nice schools and stuff does not always correlate to where people are looking to vacation, right? Um, so, they have to work with investors, and two, and this is a huge bonus if they also happen to own and operate their own short term vacation rental, one or more, that's a big bonus because then they really understand the actual process and what we're kind of looking to accomplish. Um, so, realtors are, are a big bonus. I do a lot of networking, just word of mouth on that. I mean, you could ask questions on Facebook groups, bigger pockets, and just get in touch with somebody who's already in that market and they might have some suggestions.
3: So I have a question, maybe three, okay. you might be able to <laughs> join two of them together. But it, what is the process in registering for Airbnb? What, how do you um, minimize your liability in certain properties because mm-hmm. of a pool, sure. stairs, things like that? I mean, mm-hmm. if you have canoes, things like, you know, what, what do you look for? Or how do you minimize that as an investor? Mm-hmm. And um, what was my third one? I forgot.
1: I can answer the first two because I already okay. forgot the first one.
3: Okay. Well, the process of getting yes. Let I me think start there, with that. There's a there is
1: typically in most markets and increasingly so, um, uh, local regulations and laws, requirements around short-term vacation rentals. When Airbnb first came about and VRBO had already existed for a number of years, but when Airbnb really blew up and took name recognition and went into more traditional, non-traditional vacation markets, um, local laws they want they really just want the tax dollars. Right. They want the permit fee um, and they want to, they're cracking down more on residential areas. So most of it's around zoning. So that's a really great point you brought up. Um, that's the other reason I work with local realtors who understand the market. If they can feed me properties, like in Nashville, you could look at um, all these properties and be like, oh my gosh, these are amazing. You run the numbers, 30% cash to cash turn, I'm all in, and then you find out it's not even zoned for non-owner-occupied short-term vacation rental. So knowing the local zoning laws, the city, most cities in the country are getting much better at having that information online. Um, if not, you can call the local zoning office and just ask about the rules because you do want to be sure. You don't want to, you know, get, get in the house especially and realize you can't rent it. And in most markets, they'll grandfather in older permit holders, but in some, they, they won't. They'll say, hey, you have a year or two. That's, that's rare though, I found. Um, even in Nashville, one of our properties probably wouldn't be sold and zoned as a short-term rental today, but we're grandfathered in, we can do it. Um, second question? Oh, re- uh, I got you. So um, liability. Um, there is a specific type of insurance that you're going to want for vacation rentals. It's different than landlord insurance, it's different different than typical homeowners insurance. Uh, The two leaders in that space that were created for vacation rental uh, properties uh, is proper insurance and foremost insurance. And that's going to give you an umbrella coverage policy and cover you not just for the dwelling but also will cover you from a personal injury liability, typically a one to two million dollar policy, and they'll have different deductibles for that. It is In some markets, it's 2 to 4x what normal homeowner's insurance is. Um, In some, it's maybe just 2x. If you have a pool, obviously, build that into the insurance plan. Um, Some people will actually have you have guests sign waivers, you know, swimming at your own risk, no lifeguard on duty and things like that. Um, So there's ways to kind of hedge yourself against that. And then you can always move your properties into an LLC structure down the road to kind of, you know, segment your assets and basically put them in little bubbles, right, to protect yourself, your own personal assets. And then third question. Yeah.
3: Some places don't, especially here in South Florida, even in Miami Beach. I mean, that's been all over the news. You couldn't have Airbnbs. Yeah. So,
1: so the cool thing about Miami and South Florida is there's some people that travel here that have FU money. Mm-hmm. Um, it is crazy. And I've never seen anything like it. And. A lot of these people come from international business travel, come from New York, California wherever, and they they like to have really nice furnished rentals, but they'll rent them for 30 days at a time or or short-term leases basically. So most of the laws for non-owner-occupied permits only apply to if you're renting the property for 30 days or less. So in some of those markets, or even the corporate housing model, if you're renting to only traveling nurses, those are typically three-month contracts. So you're going to make more money than you would as a long-term rental, but maybe not quite as much if it was a day-to-day rental. So there are are specific strategies that you could deploy in a market like Miami, but I know they're pretty pretty strict down there. And then what cities like Nashville and Austin, and I assume Miami too, definitely in Nashville, because short-term rentals are huge, they're building planned unit developments that are only short-term rentals. So that's an opportunity for investors to come in, and you know that that property is gonna have no issue with regulations. Um, and then you also don't have to deal with neighbors complaining, because I personally don't want my properties in a highly residential area where I don't wanna be a nuisance for people, but I still wanna provide an experience for guests like they're, they're living in town versus a hotel.
2: Hey, sir,
0: thanks for uh, all this great knowledge. Um, I just wanted to kinda, open-ended question i guess in terms of strategy you mentioned like airbnb is still young and you know we we see other markets with more regulation and you know financing people are noticing that people are taking advantage of the traditional financing like you said with second homes i mean where do you see it in like you know five ten years because you know we talk about are we too late is the market going to get saturated with too many short-term home rentals you talk about like communities uh like nativo here in miami started building communities where you can just buy as an str yeah um, so just wanted to get kind of like a strat- strategic opinion mm-hmm. on where do you where do you see it
1: yeah i think part of that is like the older crowd who's traditionally going to hotels are a lot of them switched to airbnb and vrbo during the COVID times because they didn't want to be around people so there's a lot and honestly probably half our bookings on airbnb are people who are new to Airbnb, which is pretty crazy. Um, Everyone that is younger that will eventually travel with groups of friends or family will book on Airbnb or a similar platform. So I think the user base is still growing dramatically. Um, In some markets, it could become saturated, right? But that just stresses the importance of standing out, establishing good reviews, um, and just ranking higher in search, which are all things that are within your control over a period of time. Um, The other thing I noticed with, um, with COVID was there was a dramatic spike in local travel. So people weren't taking maybe as luxurious vacations, which in times of economic harm, hardship, I foresee that happening as well. But people were exploring local markets. Like outside of San Francisco, I was looking with a client at random markets I'd never even heard of before, but their occupancy was probably 50% or less prior to COVID. And since then it's been 90 to hundred percent, which is crazy. So my theory is, is that a lot of those people that are now exploring those local vacation markets that are maybe a two three hour drive away from home, they had a good experience there they're probably going to go back in the next one to two years. So I think those markets could start growing, like the smaller markets could grow. So if you didn't want to do a bigger market that you felt was saturated, you could go dominate a smaller market, especially in the smaller market. You're going to notice the photos are really bad. The furniture is usually really bad. Um, so you have an opportunity to create a really cool experience um, and dominate that market, which I think is a, is, could be a good way to go about it.
3: So we've actually thought about doing short-term rentals for my house. And we're homesteaded. But there seems to be a little loophole on that one. Mm -hmm. So I'm checking into that. Uh, One-on-one I'm going to call and just see. But it seems to be that we can do that without losing our homestead exemption. We're empty nesters. And my husband's a sport fishing captain. So we're looking at how we can... Mm-hmm. Do I think it's up to 30 days, um, uh, 30 days total annually that we could actually do a short term rental hmm. as long as the neighbors don't get ticked off, <laughs> which they won't? Yeah. But um, so that's a, an option like for us right now that mm-hmm. we're looking at. And I literally just text, I have two adult children, and I'm like, hey, guess what we're going to be doing? Because they can't find real estate right now because they're priced out. Sure, they're 26 and 31. So I'm like, I think this is where we probably need to like have a sit down <laughs> and do this and get the ball rolling so thanks for this information this yeah. is like getting me thinking so yeah, yeah boke is a- an interesting animal when it comes to airbnb but they said they really can't do anything unless your neighbor complains so yeah that's the biggie <laughs>
1: yeah it's like takes a certain amount of complaints before they yeah. may ch- change regulation um, but you mentioned that a lot of places have owner occupied permits and non-owner occupied yeah. permits so there's different regulations like in nashville you can pretty much rent anything anywhere there's no zoning requirements as long as that's your primary residence so.
2: i may have missed this so forgive me if i'm, I'm making you a repeat here do you, are you are you buying these on market or how, how are you finding these deals are you looking for a certain percentage are you looking for you know like people who buy ltrs or like 70 80 percent or what are you looking for when you're buying these numbers wise
1: yeah so usually they're on market we have done one that was off market we'd love to do more off market deals but i mean we we'll even, in today's market is such a seller's market that we've made offers within the first four hours of a listing coming online, and they say, we're not even gonna consider it until we have open house and get all their offers. So it's, it's tough. Um, you, you can find off-market deals though. It's just, I'm personally not that great at sourcing those or wanna spend time doing that. It may sound lazy, but um, when I'm looking for deals, I want a minimum of a 25% cash on cash return. Personally, with low interest rates, even though they just ticked up, they're still, if you look back 20 years, they're still incredibly low. I mean, among historic lows. If I can lock in a 4% or 4.5% interest rate on a 30-year term by putting 15% down, like, that's a, it's amazing because your cash-on-cash goes up. Um, now, I will say that when, when you get to a certain point where you have the option to get w- another big one or do, you want like, one to, or two to three small ones, I'd rather get the big one if the cash-on-cash overall is the same because it takes the same amount of effort once it's set up. To manage a big one as it as a small one, you still have the same level of guest communication and communication with your cleaners and things like that. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Do you mind if I ask what your property sizes are that you? Mm-hmm. Need five. Yeah, so we have a two-bedroom condo in Nashville. We have a four-bedroom house in Nashville. First one sleeps eight, then twelve. Um, in Gatlinburg, we have two houses out there. One sleeps twelve, and one sleeps up to sixteen. They're both. Four bedrooms, and then the one down here is a four-bedroom. Um, doing more of a renovation the past three or four projects because we find there's less competition on non-turnkey properties, and we also get the equity grab. Um, I thought it, I thought houses were way too expensive two years ago when we first started. To be honest, I was like we're way overpaying. I was like Jill, we can't do this, and she's like just do it, and I was like all right. So. But fast forward two years on some of those that were did those renovations, we're able to pull out 200% of what we put in. Actually, we're closing this week on three cash out refis. So we're gonna pull out an absurd amount of money, which to me is just like, like life changing. Two years ago, I never thought this would be possible. And now we're going to redeploy that into the one we're under contract for, which is a one and a half million dollar house down here that'll probably run out for a thousand to $1,500 a night. Um, so it's just, Does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay.
3: Do you have a rule of thumb for what percentage of the property value? Or how do you, let me ask it a different way. How do you determine how much to spend on the furniture? Asking for a a friend.
1: Yeah. So furniture, I typically budget, and this is ballpark when I'm quickly evaluating properties against each other. I'll budget about $5,000 per number of bedrooms. And that includes common spaces like kitchen, dining, and living, but does not include additional spaces like if it has a big game room or bonus room or a big outdoor space I'll usually budget an additional 2500 to 5 grand per additional space. So if I'm budgeting for a 4 bedroom property that has a rooftop patio and maybe like a bonus room I'll probably budget around 25 to 30 grand for that. Okay. And you could certainly go cheaper, right? If you hunt for awesome deals on Facebook Marketplace, but for us it's speed to get listed on market. So if we can we actually furnish the entire property on a spreadsheet before closing. So we usually have 90% of the uh, furniture selected with links, with costs, with estimated sales tax, all included in the spreadsheet. auto populate so we know we don't get halfway through furnishing a place and we're like, oh my gosh, I'm way over budget already.
3: Yeah, And where do you find most of your furniture?
1: Most of it's on Wayfair, Amazon, and I really like polyembark for like cool. living room stuff. Okay. Yeah, quality stuff. Love it. Um, we
3: had someone check into our Airbnb today and asked to rent it for the next two years for a month too. So this market's hot. If you guys are trying to get in this game, you should do it. (laughs) Hi. So I have – it all ties in. It's a couple questions, but it all ties into the same thing. Um, Me, personally, when I book on Airbnb, I look for a super host. So do you uh, do your own hosting? Do you host your own uh, Airbnb rentals? And what is the time frame in getting your listing mostly viewed, like the – ROI, when do you start seeing your ROI in your...
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so unless it's a super seasonal market and you're launching in the off-season, you should cash flow month one as soon as you're listed. Um, And there's a good reason for that. So when you list on Airbnb, any new listing or VRBO similar, they have something similar, a new listing discount. I always recommend opting in, even if you jack your prices up for the first three bookings. Um, they offer 20%, they'll give you slash through pricing, it looks like an amazing deal, and they'll bump you to the top of Airbnb search for those first three, and then you'll kind of go back into the algorithm. Um, usually, we expect to see cash flow a month as soon as we list, honestly. Um, especially if there's decent demand that time of year in that market, you should get booked up, because honestly, supply has not been able to keep up with demand the past year and a half um, at all, actually. If AirDNA, AirDNA puts out a ton of different information other than just the data and analytics. They put out reports on top markets to invest in, They'll do annual, I think in quarterly reports too, on what they're seeing in the vacation rental market.
3: Got it, and does that tie into, I guess, if you do host your own, uh, the Superhost thing? I know there's like a algorithm to Mm -hmm. earning that.
1: Yeah, Um, Superhost, uh, they review it every quarter and you have to maintain, it's actually not that hard to get, you have to have at least 10 reservations, I think in the past year, um, and then you have to maintain a 4.8 or higher average rating across all of your listings. And you have to have a l- less than one percent cancellation rate from you canceling on guests. They really don't. They ding you hard if you cancel on guests. So if you have to cancel, ask the guest to cancel and promise a full refund. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, do you offer these
0: spreadsheets that you use, Like is that something that you have, like as part of your course, or? You know? or um, do you, like, wh- how can we get our hands on these spreadsheets? Yeah.
1: So uh, I have all the stuff on this little link. Um, don't worry about writing it down. If you just follow me on Instagram, there's spreadsheets, there's the course, mentorship, all sorts of different stuff. And I do videos on TikTok and YouTube actually going over how I use spreadsheet, use AirDNA and plug everything in. But I created it so it's plug and play. So like, you'll notice all the yellow cells are manual inputs, everything else is automated. So. For me, it's convenience, right? Because I just want to stack properties, loan options against each other, strip the emotion out of it, and be like, "This is the best one. This is the second best one. This is the third best one." Uh, mm-hmm.
2: No, I was just gonna piggyback off what she, what she was asking, just sort of super host type stuff. Uh, are you, re- and then your final comment on that? Are are you rejecting? What's your rejection rate on, you know, people trying to, to, to um, you know, stay there or, you know, are you weeding out clientele or anything
1: like that? Or are you just sort of, let's just get them in? <laughs> yeah. So we've become more picky with who we host. Um, honestly, the worst of it was peak COVID. We were trying to cater to longer term stays. Um, we had more like construction workers and traveling nurses and those types of clients, because there was, for two months, there was literally no, this was when we only had one and then two properties. There was no travel to Nashville. So we were just like, I don't really care who's in there. But anyone who's local, we don't rent to, or we ask them a lot of questions on why they're renting. Because the only time we've ever had an issue, pretty much, the only time we ever had an issue, because you are gonna have issues every once in a while, most guests are great guests, Um, have been locals saying they're just hosting a birthday gathering and there's not enough space in their home and they end up throwing a party and we call the cops and try and break it up. But also, anytime you do really big discounts, we kind of have a threshold that we don't go below. You're gonna notice, this isn't across the board, but we've noticed a trend. When you charge a lot per night, every once in a while you're gonna get the person who's really picky, but for the most part, those people, you don't even hear from them. Those are the best bookings. They spend three grand for a weekend in Nashville, and they get the automated check-in and check-out instructions, and they leave you a review, and you never speak to them. That's like the best. But on the flip side of that, we tend to see, when we charge less, guests are for whatever reason, way more picky. I've had people on their hands and knees saying there's dust under the TV stand, and I'm like, just just go to the bars down the street. You don't need to be looking at that, you know, but most guests are great. Let's leave it at that.
2: With, uh, with your lending, have you found it have you found one? partner that you do everything with? Or like when you, when you read bigger pocket stuff, they're always like find your local lender kind of thing. Are you finding a, a new one in each market you go to?
1: So we've used several different lenders. Um, we've used a couple of them more than once. It depends on, I would first say, try and maximize the amount of conventional loans you can do just because the terms are better, either a second home loan and then uh, conventional investment loans. Um, but once you get capped on that, so either I believe it's 10 per, per, like, per person, um, that you're capped on, or you get capped on DTI or some other, you know, qualifying uh, metric, you'll have to use the DSCR loans. And there are many out there that will do DSCR programs, but some of them do 20 to 25% down, and they're looking at long-term rental comps. There are three, and I th- I'm think i sure there's more, but there's three big ones that I would recommend looking into for short-term rental, specific DSCR loans. Number one is uh, David Green's team, I've spoken with them many times, we're actually just did the three refis through them, and we're doing our new purchase through them. They have probably the only program that will do a 15% down up to a $1.5 million purchase on a debt service coverage ratio loan for an Airbnb. It's amazing. And their interest rates are more in line with conventional investment loans. Uh, So as long as you have a decent credit score, you know, high 600s, they really want to see north of 700 for those loans. Um, And then the other ones are uh, host financial and Vizio lending are the specific vacation rental lenders that will do DSCR loans. But their interest rates, I've seen... Low, low to high fives on those, and they want 20% down in most cases. Now there is only there is one pitfall to the DSCR loans, and that is most of them have a three to five year prepayment penalty, so they're not the best option for doing, you know, rehabs, right? Rehabbing a place and making it an awesome rental because you can't necessarily refinance. They'll usually have a uh, like a three or six percent um, uh, interest penalty or whatever the principal balance is on the house. Um, prepayment penalty or a six months of interest prepayment penalty. So just be aware of that. Yeah.
2: Uh, so if possible, private money or personally finance the initial purchase and then rehab and, and then go into the, one of the DSCR programs? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay.
1: Any other questions? I'm just about up on time. Cool. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Actually, I, I have one question
0: for you before you get off. But sure. that was awesome. Thank you. Uh, where, where do you think we're going in terms of the inefficiency in the market? So, and, and I think we've kind of discussed this before. But like, you're buying this house for one and a half million. You said, and it's going to bring in like twelve hundred, fifteen hundred a night. Right. Most nights, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you probably could have paid three million, and it would still be a good deal, right?
1: Yeah, maybe. I haven't ran the, the like, numbers on it, but probably, yeah, right? Like, but, I'm w- glad you brought that up because the, you get what the, I'm saying, right? the like, flexibility you have with short-term rentals, number one, you could always long-term rent it and probably at least break even or, or cash flow some, but the level of margin you have. So when I'm doing forecasts, I, I do a cons- very conservative forecast that has to be the, meet the 25% threshold on cash on cash. I also stress test it, so I'll do a low and a high. So you can use AirDNA, look at 50% or below percentile for average daily rate and occupancy, and I'll do on the high side, I'll go north to 75%. So really, you can be surprised by more cash flow, right, if you do really well. But in a worst case scenario, are you still cash flowing and what, what does that return look like? So the, 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 le, uh, the margin, I guess, of error, or room for error is um, much greater um, with short-term rentals in my opinion.
0: I mean, my, my guess is in that scenario, at, at $3 million paying for it, it would, as, as an STR, it would probably cash flow more than Buying it at 1.5 million, and long-term renting it. Yeah, probably. Probably, right? yeah. So there, there, there is this weird inefficiency in the market. E- either like the market needs to be flooded with more Airbnbs to to bring the rates down, or or the prices of homes need to go up a yeah. lot more, right? There, it's a weird time, and I don't know. Someone you is, think yeah. at scale will figure this out, right? Yeah,
1: it is. Yeah, that's true. I know we talked about that previously. Um, I don't even know where I was going with that, but no, that's a great point.
0: Um, I mean we 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 might not have this window forever, right? Like true. Prices might come up or, or the competition
1: Yeah. Might, I've told it, many people I I personally think unless you invested in Bitcoin 10 years ago, I personally think this is probably the strongest asset class anybody can invest in in the next 20 years. The level of return, the margins on it, our cash flow margin or profit margin is north of 50% on all of our properties. So you know, our properties in Nashville both did around 110 grand. We cash flowed like 55 or 60 grand last year for each. So like you have so much wiggle room. Um, as I said, the fast path to financial freedom, at least for me and many other people out there, I would consider it being in, in your portfolio of investments. All right. Thank you. Cool. That was amazing. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it.